Yo-ho, I'm Damien Roos. Today, fueling for evening rides, should you go tubeless and choosing the right insoles? You got a question about cycling? I got you covered. But if I can't find the answer, it doesn't exist. This is your cycling questions answered. Question number one, fueling for evening rides. I work a day job that has me starting early in the morning and finishing in the late afternoon, meaning that I start my weekday training rides at about 4 or 5 p.m. I've never been sure how to approach nutrition throughout the day. Since I'm eating breakfast at 6.30 a.m., I tend to eat my lunch around noon, but I often find that this leaves me feeling flat when I have harder workouts, as that can be around five hours after my last meal. Finally, how should I approach eating breakfast and possibly lunch considering that those are really just fueling me sitting at my desk? On the weekends, I'll often eat well before my ride, but then eat a lighter dinner so I go to bed hungry since I'm at least 12 hours from my next workout. Is it safe to apply this formula in reverse, being hungry throughout the morning before starting to fuel my workout in the afternoon, or would this harm my afternoon workout? Diet is super personal, not just what goes in, but when you eat it, the amount that you eat, all of that is super personal. And what works for one person can be a recipe for failure for another. It can be difficult to fit in and plan the right nutrition in and around the working day. And this is a particular challenge when you've got a hard session or race planned after office hours. When you've got a busy evening of riding ahead, you need to plan how you're going to spread your food intake throughout the day to maintain good energy levels and save you from trying to cram food in just before training. You should aim to have a decent gap from your snack to the start of your event. As much as it feels as if this is going against general healthy eating advice, choosing high GI carbohydrate and avoiding anything too high in fiber that will slow down the transit of food through your gut. Options could be white toast or white rice or a dedicated sports energy bar. An energy gel closer to the workout or race is also a great way to ensure that you get fast energy quickly. And as long as you're eating enough carbs throughout the day, you shouldn't be starved for energy. This may even help psychologically as you know that you're going to get into the ride topped up. It's also important to keep on top of your hydration throughout the day. Keep fluid consistent, but don't overdo things. Just keep drinking. Some of us have a routine that works for some and not others. Many people are capable of waking up and having a bowl of oats before a morning ride, while others just can't stomach it. We spoke about the idea of carbo-loading in the last episode of Your Cycling Questions Answered, so it may be a good idea to base your routine on that advice. Some people only really eat before a ride if it's longer in duration and heavy carb dinners carry them into the next day's ride. The same goes for lunchtime meals that are heavy in carbohydrates. As long as enough time passes after a meal, you should be fine. In terms of a meal plan, breakfast, you could aim for a big normal-sized breakfast, a fair-sized snack midday-ish, and then a big lunch with some complex carbohydrates like brown rice or quinoa at least two hours before your session. Small, high GI snacks should be sufficient after this point. 400 plus calories for just an hour session is way too much. Unless you are already starved and glycogen depleted, you have more than enough energy to make it through a one to three hour workout. Many people worry about overeating during the day. The fact is that you'll burn a fair amount on your ride later. And if you have a solid meal before bed, you'll be good in terms of recovery. Question two, should I go tubeless? All the evidence is pointing towards most rims becoming tubeless compatible in the future, especially in terms of training tires. Should I make the switch now? Should I wait for more solid recommendations or should I stay away completely? Well, 
Tubeless tires have been around for a long time now, but have started to be used more often on the road. Until very recently, it was a technology considered to be in its infancy. It almost seemed like using inner tubes inside your tire is a throwback to the 1950s, though, because cars haven't used inner tubes in over half a century, and mountain bikes have gone tubeless too. So why not on the road? It is said that going tubeless on the road brings us into the modern era of tire design, working with the same proven tubeless tire principles that performance motorcycles, cars, and mountain bike tires have used for years. They use a special carbon fiber rubber bead in combination with a matching rim shape to create an airtight seal and eliminate the need for a tube. Hutchinson have been running tubeless tire tech for years. Last year, Mavic entered the tubeless tire market, launching Road UST, which they say is the easiest, safest, and fastest way to go tubeless. It has updated its all-road, cosmic, and cerium wheel sets, as well as open rims, so that they can all go tubeless now. Giant, Vittora, Specialized, Giant, Bontrager, and many other brands have jumped on the bandwagon too. In a recent episode of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, our guest, Dan Bingham, told us that tubeless will definitely be head and shoulders above the rest eventually. The reality is, though, that no special rim or wheel is required to use tubeless. The majority of standard clincher wheels can easily be adapted to tubeless. Tubeless tires work especially well with any wheel that does not have spoke holes on the inside of the rim, such as Mavic's Cerium or Arsis wheels, but they can be mounted on most regular clincher rims with spoke holes with the use of special rim tape. Most people's experience will tell you that this is probably more hassle than it's worth though. So opting for a tubeless specific technology rim and tire and the whole kit is probably the better way to go. So what are the benefits of a tubeless tire? If you haven't already guessed, tubeless tires greatly improve comfort and vibration dampening. Lowering both rolling resistance and tire pressure together produces a better riding wheel, with some going as far as saying it provides a superior ride than clinches. If you live somewhere with grit, rough roads, and other nasty puncture-producing stuff, you should probably consider switching to tubeless. The casing on tubeless tires makes a great contact patch for the road and less deformation under load. This leads to an improvement in handling and traction. With lower pressure on clinches, you have all experienced a pinch flap. Tubeless eliminates this problem. Tire blowouts are a thing of the past and less commonly valve stem tear-offs. When a friction layer like a tube or tubular glue is eliminated, lower rolling resistance can be the result. Like a well-glued tubular, road tubeless is very unlikely to roll off the rim in the event of a high-speed puncher. They're easy to repair. In the event of a flat, a standard clincher tube can be used in a road tubeless tire. Also, much like a car tire, a sliced tubeless tire can often be plugged and resealed again if damaged. And finally, the weight difference of a tubeless tire when combined with the required valve stem insert is small in comparison with a clincher and a light tube. For many riders, this minor weight disadvantage is negligible compared to the superior ride quality and puncture resistance that the tire provides. So that's all the good stuff. What about the bad stuff? What are the cons? There are less tubeless options available in comparison to clinchers, and they are more expensive. Most detractors will tell you that it's harder to install a tubeless tire. This may be true, but like any bike mechanics, when you do it once, it's easier the next time. 
The reality is that tubeless tires fit on the rim looser, so many clincher tires may not even require a tire lever. If you do use a tire lever, a tubeless compatible one is recommended so that you don't damage the tire bead. They are best installed when liquid sealant is used in conjunction with a quick burst of air from a compressor or CO2 cartridge to catch and seal the bead of the tire to the rim firmly and quickly. Some rims require the removing of the whole tire when truing the wheel, so unless there is a dedicated tubeless rim, this can be messy and fiddly. Another thing to think about is if you decide to convert from normal clinches is that the installation of tubeless tires can void the manufacturer's warranty for wheels that specifically say not to use them. You might want to do some research on this first. And finally, Continental is one company that doesn't offer a road tubeless setup right now. According to them, the benefit in mountain biking is that you can use very low pressures for better grip without getting snake bite punches. But for the traditional road market, they don't think of these as such important factors. They believe that the construction of road tubeless tires is a far bigger challenge. You need a heavier system because of the high pressures, but weight is a very important factor for road cyclists. Basically, when you look at those pros and cons, the pros list is actually a lot longer than the cons. And if people are saying that they're so good, why isn't everybody using them? A number of tire companies originally competed to create the road tubeless tire standard. But after a while, most decided that instead of adopting the standard, they would simply not produce anything. The road tubeless concept just didn't gain as much consumer momentum and instead gathered dust until fairly recently. Also, road tubeless tires on lower pressures will make some riders automatically assume that a firmer feeling clincher or tubular is faster. As long as feels faster, wins out over is faster, many riders will shy away from new technology and many manufacturers will continue down the road that they always have ridden. Just like with disc brakes, unless we start seeing tubeless tires used at pro level, then the technology isn't going to be pushed as much by manufacturers. The fact is that many new wheel sets are now tubeless compatible, so there's no reason in not giving it a try. You don't even have to make the call straight away. Next question, choosing the right insoles. This question actually comes from our own podcast producer, and last year he got his hands on a new pair of Giro Empire SLX shoes. He found them to be the most comfiest shoes that he's ever worn on a bike and there's nothing bad to say about them. But after about a year of using them, he started to develop heel pain while walking. And a quick word to his bike fitter friend and he recommended trying out different insoles with arch support. Most cycling shoes already come with what can only be described as a flimsy stock insole. Some brands like Giro and Specialized provide much more robust ones, but it would be unwise to assume that it's the right one for you. Foot problems in cycling can be caused by a number of factors. The actual shoe might be too small or it might be too narrow. Your cleats might not be properly aligned. These problems can lead to conditions such as hot foot, a burning numbness in the toes and ball of the foot. Insoles can also cause these problems. So if the rest fits well, you should be looking into changing them. When you're pedaling, unlike when running or walking, you aren't moving your feet as much. When turning the crank, you aren't putting any elastic energy into the arch of the foot. So any changes in position might lead to overuse injury. So when you choose the correct insole with good arch support, your foot structure integrity is being maintained a lot better. When trying on a new pair of shoes or with your current shoes, there's a few things that you can do. Does the toe box feel cramped? You may need a wider pair of cycling shoes or a pair of shoes that are half a size larger, or the edge of the insole may need to be trimmed. 
you want to feel an upward pressure on the arch of the foot between the heel and the ball. The pressure should be towards the back of the arch, more on the inside of the foot. The shoe should feel snug in the heel. You want to feel the balls of your feet over the wide, flat part of the shoe where the cleats are placed. It is common for people to have a different arch requirement for each foot, so you may need to pay attention to this as well. The fact is that a well-supported foot can improve power output, reduce injuries, stabilize the rider on the saddle, and improve the pedal stroke. Trying on shoes and going by feel is fine, but if you really want to get the best out of your shoe, buying dedicated cycling insoles from reputable brands is a great way to go. Or if you're happy to spend the cash, a fully personal customized set. Well, that's it. Quick questions, in and out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking out semiprocycling.com. 